everyone. Welcome to Black Girl Joy. I am so excited and ready for a conversation we're going to have today. But before we get started, I'm going to ask that you like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. So like, share, subscribe. And remember, add your comments in. We will respond to comments on air. So add your feedback, your experiences, your thoughts, your questions. Just throw it all in the chat. So today we're talking about life of a parent with a child with special needs. And so before we get started, I want to talk about what the special needs mean. So often we box it into maybe a physical um, disability, a mental disability, but in the category of special needs across the board, even at school, they consider gifted children special needs. So special needs is a broad spectrum and it just means a child that may require some more attention um, than what we would consider the average, and I hate average and median, like medians. But I'm gonna get started. So I have a special guest, Miss Jerry Crenshaw. I'm gonna bring her in right now. Hi, Jerry. Hi. How are you doing? <laughs> I am tired. I am tired. <laughs> That's expected. That is expected. So Jerry has a daughter. You actually have two daughters, right? And one with yes. special needs? Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about um about like your experience? Just a little summary. <coughs> Excuse me. So yeah, I heard what you said in the beginning. Yeah, special needs, it does kind of when you when you think about it, people kind of put it in one category of it being something like uh physical or um, a lot of times you, you'll see people refer to kids who have autism or things of that nature, but special needs is a very broad spectrum. But my daughter, her special needs are more so with medical needs. Um, mm -hmm. She has a lot a lot of medical needs. So she was she was um, born with Hirschsprung's disease, which is um, a disease in the, you hear my daughter? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> which is a disease where ganglia cells in your rectum and colon are dead and, and they don't work as they're supposed to. They don't push out gas and stool like they're supposed to. So she at four days old had to have what's called a pull through surgery. And that's when they go in, remove that part of her intestines and pull down the part that does work. And so in doing all of that, we thought, oh, that's just it. You know, once they have a pull through, usually that kind of corrects things and you pretty much raise your child as normal. But then we started noticing she had a lot of birth defects um, that the doctors at the time at the hospital she was in didn't really have answers to. And we ended up having to do a genetic test and found out she does have a, a rare genetic disorder called congenital disorder of the glycosylation. And it basically means to sum it all up, there are some issues when it comes to building sugars and proteins in the body. And with her, her specific uh, gene type is PIGO, P-I-G-O. Um, and this, her subtype is GPI uh, uh, disorder, anchor disorder. With Avery, it's a lot. And I'm pretty sure any mom who's a medical, we call them medical moms, or even moms with um, children who do, who do actually have either ADHD or aut autism, wherever they are on the spectrum, I'm pretty sure they will tell you the same thing. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, 
you the, the one thing that I had to learn and still am processing that I think a lot of uh, parents who have children with special needs don't talk about as much is you have to process it's like a death or a grieving moment where when you're pregnant the life that you thought your child would have or you envisioned them having you have to process the fact that they'll never live that life and i think a lot of times when we talk about special needs parents and children we're always talking about you know the resources that are available or we're talking about you know the different aspects of whatever that particular uh disorder is but you never talk about the things that the parents have to go through especially the mom because you've carried that child for nine months and you've had this idea of who they would be what they would look like what they would do how they would interact with their siblings and then you have to realize that would never happen in the way that you thought it would. Um, so that's one of the, I guess, the main things I think that um, aren't discussed that should be discussed. So. And that's that's so insightful because I was actually going to go down kind of the same path with you was, okay, you have a child with special needs. We know you got to care for the child. But what does that actually mean for you? And I never thought about like that grieving process of they're not going to have the life that I envisioned. Because we do, we have all these expectations for our children, starting from when we're child, like when we're kids and we start thinking, oh, we're going to have kids and they're going to do this or they're going to do that. And I never thought about that process. How did you process all of that? Did you go to therapy? Did you just, how did you deal with all of that? Like wait. Well, with Avery's particular um, diagnosis, she comes with a lot. Um, she has, and I'll just give you a quick breakdown. She has a gastroenterologist specialty doctor. She has an endocrinology doctor. She has uh, ear, nose, and throat doctor. She has uh, a pediatric surgeon. She has a complex pediatrician doctor. She has all these different things. Uh, she has all these different things going. See, it's even now it's busy, busy, busy. But she has all these different things going on. So there wasn't a time where I could just sit and just be like, "This is what's going on," because you're constantly in the mood, you're constantly doing things, you're in not the hospital, you're seeing doctors, having appointments, and it happens a lot for a lot of moms who kids have very difficult special needs children. That you don't have a moment to actually sit down and take in what's going on to process it. So for me, it was it was uh, more of an internal thing. I I haven't had therapy. I I try to reach out to friends, but it's very difficult sometimes um, when you're experiencing something and you already know the people that you usually go to for support have no idea and will never have any idea of what you're going through. So it makes it hard to explain. And sometimes you feel like you're coming off as complaining or um, uh, the conversation is always wrapped around you and your children. So you try to avoid that. Cause you know, you have those conversations with your girlfriends. You're like, you always talking about your kids or you always talking about your man. So you don't want, you don't want to overwhelm people with those type of conversations. So for me, it was, I just kind of internalized everything and had to, um, what's the best way to, to describe it? I had to, uh, just keep going. Yeah. You, don't have a, you don't have a moment to cry it out. You don't have a moment to say, okay, how do I deal with this? Or this is too much. You just got to keep going. No, I totally understand the point you're making because 
when my mom passed, I went through the same thing where I isolated. So yep. something different than what you're going through, but I isolated because I felt like every time I went out or every time I tried to go to lunch, it was like, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, they just trying to have fun. And I'm sitting right. there about my dying mother right. every time. And it's almost like, you know, the, the weight, the weight, like you carrying around this weight and you feel like you putting it on someone else. Yes. But really, you know, people are there to support you. So it's, it's a balancing act for sure. Do you have a community of other parents with special needs? Yes, I am the queen of if there's something wrong, I'm going to find a support group. So, um, yeah, I've reached out to different. There's, there's many support groups for kids. We call them CDG, which is short for the Congenital Disorder of Black Constellation. Um, there's a global alliance Facebook group where it connects parents with kids who have CDG from across the world. And then you have, like I mentioned earlier, she has a GPI anchor disorder. There's one for that. So it's kind of like a support group for just about every different type of her um, disorder. There's over 170 types for Avery. There's only documented maybe 20 some odd people with her specific um, gene type. And as far as her specific um, subtype and her um, characteristics that she has with her, right now she's the only one in the world documented with those type of characteristics. So there isn't a lot of knowledge of her um, specific um, subtype. So it's very frustrating when you're trying to talk to doctors and they don't really know and then sound sometimes they can come off and you know more than the doctors about it. So it's frustrating. So that's kind of where we are. So with all of these doctors and specialists, and this may be way too personal, but it sounds like not only is there an emotional load, but there's a financial load. Is there assistance with that from either some type of social services to help with that? Or are you taking on a big brunt of financial um, obligations as well? So we're in the state of Missouri. And um, right now my daughter, she's on my husband's insurance and she also has the state Medicaid. And between those two, it, it does cover a lot. That's good. Um, it does cover a lot. It covers some medications. It so far has covered all of her equipment because right now, she just got out of the hospital yesterday. She was in the hospital for 58 I'm days. I'm glad she got out. Yes. And so coming home, she came home with a lot of equipment. She has a um, pulse ox monitor. She has oxygen tanks. She has um, uh, glucose monitors. We're checking her glucose daily. She has uh, her TPN pumps. So thank God all that was covered through her insurance. However, I do know there are parents out there who don't have the insurance we have and some states their medicaid don't cover everything as well but with um like the the global alliance group that i mentioned earlier they have grants within that group that can help parents and then they're also if you would if you're at whatever hospital you're at if you get with the uh usually there's a family advocate, a case manager, or a social worker, depends on what they call it in, in that specific hospital. And they have different programs that can also assist you with getting the equipment you need, the medications that you need, and things like that. But financially, when it went for us, the financial part is the driving back and forth to the hospital, the um, having to buy things that aren't I guess normal equipment like for her TPN uh, medications, 
they go in the refrigerator, but they take up a lot of space. So we had to buy a mini fridge. Um, I had to buy um, specific type strollers or um, sitting equipment for her to sit in. So she's sitting upright. Um, yeah, some times that, that does come out of your pocket and that can be very expensive. So how has all of this impacted like what you saw in life for yourself so are you able to work right now no i am what i always said i would never be a stay-at-home mom avery has, she has a lot of um medical needs that right now even if i trusted a daycare it's too much for just her for someone to watch her it would have to be a daycare where she's the only kid you know yeah. because you can't tend to all her needs and then also tend to 15 other kids so right now daycare is not an option um for her now we do have a nurse that comes out to the home every day to check her pick line check her uh do her blood work and things like that um and there are in certain states i, I, don't, I don't know if it's here in missouri i don't think it is but in certain states you can have um assistance where you have people coming to the home for a number of hours so you can work if you want to work or go run errands and do whatever you need to do um just to get a break um, mm -hmm. so and those are state funded programs what do you do to take care of yourself jerry because even when i ask you about you you go back to like so and, that's, and, that's, and, and you know that's what that's why i was saying earlier um when you start talking about parents and kids with special needs that part is always neglected out the conversation of what the parents do to care for themselves and not just the mom the dad too how they're processing um how they're dealing with the changes because everything is a new adjustment my mom texted me to check on me last night and i was telling her all the equipment avery came home with and how you know everything is just everywhere right now because we got to get a routine we got to figure out where everything can go and fit in the house and she was just like you know it's a new normal and that's how it is it's constantly you're constantly at a new adjustment new normal and so for me um kind of how i um take care of myself is i try, <laughs> I try on weekends when my husband is, is off we swap out so he'll take the 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 the, the gist of everything and he'll do the majority on the weekend so I can rest or if I want to get my nails done or go out to eat with my, with my sister or my friends or something like that. That's how we do it during the week when he's working. Because right now he's the only one working and which is uh, can be very difficult when you're talking about having special needs kids because when you go from I was working full time, he was working full time and now it's like those one of those incomes are gone. That's a huge part of changing your lifestyle. Um, and that's also another thing that you have to deal with as a parent is that the lifestyle you were living prior to having this special needs kid, you also have process nine times out of 10 that will not be your lifestyle. You know, going to brunch when you want to with your friends and having mimosas or taking weekend girl trip getaways, you know, not saying it's not possible, but it's a lot more difficult to maneuver. Um, and it's an adjustment for somebody who's not used to being a homebody or who's not used to um, having so many things not revolve around them and now revolve around their kids in a way that they didn't think. Because, you know, when you think about your life revolving around your kids, you think about soccer practice, basketball games, yeah. games uh, cheerleading. And now it's for special needs parents, it's doctor's appointments, um, procedures, trips to the pharmacy, uh, things of that nature. Now how your life revolves around your kids. 
So, yeah, but for me, it's just I'm not a big person on uh, me time. Mm-hmm. I never have been. I'm more of a family oriented person, so I'm okay. I'm okay with sitting up. Like I don't know if you can hear, but the TV show Crybabies <laughs> is playing in the background. We hear it. Kids listening to Crybaby and stuff like that. But my husband, he's like, you need to get away or you need to do something for you, and he'll be like go get your nails in. I'm like, in my mind, I'm constantly thinking, okay, if I go right now between her meditation doses, then I, I got to worry about you know. So that's mm-hmm. how your mind. It shifts. It really does. So we have a question from Miss Christine. Is will Avery get better as an adult? So as she grows, will some of this evolve and change and get better? Um, she will always have the genetic disorder. Um, she will always have complications with her Hirsch Um Now, as she, as she grows some of the things that are issues now may not be issues later if that makes sense however there may be new issues um with cdg the first couple of years are always the hardest or so i'm told because you're trying to figure out how does your baby fit on the cdg spectrum like what are their symptoms Um, a lot of babies have seizures a lot of babies don't live to be one years old because of the seizures are so severe and um so often luckily avery that's not a symptom she has she don't have seizures a lot of babies have heart problems liver problems it when cdg because it because it um affects the makeup of the proteins and the sugars in your body it affects every organ in your body so yeah you have babies with they have seizures you have heart problems liver problems you have kidney issues um you have issues with muscles avery has what's called hypertonia she has height all day she has high tone um so she would have issues where she's it's, it's, she has a, um, a diagnosis called chorea where she has involuntary movements and she's constantly moving um, but as she gets older it won't go away uh i'll say it'll that's the best way to put it it'll make it easier for us to know what to expect and how to deal with it Does okay. that make sense? yeah yeah all right, so you had a post, and I hope you don't mind me sharing the post. I pulled it from your Facebook page. Okay. I'm going to pull it up right now. I didn't ask for permission. I'll ask for forgiveness. All right, so you had a post. I will always appreciate those in my tiny circle who always come through for not just me, but Dion, but always show up, and Dion, but always show up for Alyssa and Avery. I see a lot of young people talk about the idea of it takes a village isn't real, because their visit, village hasn't shown up for them. Stop thinking about that. Vill- Stop thinking that village is your family. You create your own village. And I read that, and I was like, "That is so true. That is I, so true." I posted that because I see a young, a lot of young people. They do, um, especially young kids with their first babies, and they have this once again this idea of what motherhood is going to be like, and it doesn't turn out for them. You see them dealing with uh, postpartum depression or single and single moms having to try to figure it out on their own. And so you'll see a lot of them making TikTok videos and Instagram stories and things about how, oh, they always told me that, you know, the village would come and it takes a village, but where's my village? And I posted that because I think a lot of young people assume the village is family. You just assume that when you're having a hard time or you're going through something, your family's going to step in and do whatever, pay for whatever, assist with whatever. And 
but to me i feel like that village is who you choose to invite into your circle who you choose to share your personal information with knowing that like um with avery I don't share everything about her with everybody because I already know everybody can't handle that. And I already know everybody, they may, you know, like Jerry, yay, but they're not invested in my family. Mm -hmm. And so that village who you feel like are invested in not just you, but your entire family mm -hmm. who is going to show up for you, whether it be a coworker you met five years ago and you have never stopped connecting. They've always been there, They've always, you know, for the baby showers, the weddings, the sick days. You know, it could be an old college friend that you've been friends with from day one of freshman year, and they're still there. It does not, I don't want people to always assume, especially young young girls who are single moms, to assume that village is going to be your mom, your dad, the grandparents stepping in, or even your siblings stepping in, because everybody don't look at raising children the same way. And a lot of people, when it comes to young people, a lot of older people who you're assuming, like your parents, your grandparents, your aunts and uncles who are going to step in, they're looking at you like, well, you had that baby out of wedlock. You, yes. you know, this is not just baby number one, this baby number three. I'm not getting involved in that. And But they don't know the circumstances that person may be dealing with or what may be going on. But for that young person, it just looks like you're not showing up. Yeah. So I wanted to post that to make sure people understood. You create that village. You choose who you want to share your time with. You choose who you want to bring into your personal space. To um, you choose the people you feel like if if they if you call, they're gonna show up for you. Um, I have you, you know Gene Gene Mitchell, our classmate. Yeah. He made a post months ago, I want to say it was last year, about dysfunctional parents and dysfunctional families and stuff. And he talked about how, you know, when you become an adult and you have your own children, you have to make the decision of do you allow your parents, if it was a dysfunctional relationship for you, to come into your kids space to be a part of their lives and that's kind of what i mean by that whole creating your own village you may have people in your life who are family who are dysfunctional who you feel like you know that's going to be negativity that's some they do things or participate things that i don't want my kids to see be exposed to and so you that's what that's what i mean you choose who you invite into your village your space or whoever um i don't know how to express that will continue to rambling on about it but that's what it sounds like a rambling but that's basically what i meant by that post yeah no i think that's good and then also when you talk about like our parents those older school i call them like the children of the civil rights movement and <laughs> that's what i call my parents um but they look at things in a different way like i had to do it i went to work every day i came home and all i did was take care of you and you know, and I lived my life after you left. And that's how they see parenting when life is totally different. Like we don't work like standard jobs that we leave at work every day. We could be working, we could be working in the office and then coming home and working. Then we're working two jobs. It's so much stuff going on. It's not the same environment and it's much more stressful. Like they had their own stresses. I'll say they were different. They're different stressors now. Um, when it comes to that and when it comes to school and activities that they don't actually relate to. So I agree. Like for me, I always say put people in their bucket, right? 
So you may have a bucket that, that helps you with your kids. You may have a bucket you can ask for advice. You may have a bucket you can have fun with. But make sure you understand the roles that different yes. people play and don't confuse them because that's the <laughs> frustration. That's, and I think you, you, it, you are right on point. That's what happens a lot is that people, they, they assume that a person is going to react or respond a certain kind of way based off their title in their life. Mm -hmm. So you assume mom is going to do A, B, and C. You assume your sister or your brother is going to react and do A, B, and C. Instead of, like you said, you're in this bucket. This is who you are. I'm meeting you where you are. And I know if I call you, you ain't going to answer or I can't rely on you. Regardless of how close in blood we are, you mm -hmm. know, and so that's where you, when you start to develop that, create that village, that's when you decide is this person going to be somebody that I put in my circle as far as I'm sharing personal information with? I can call if I need something uh, or if my child is sick, they can go and pick up my other child and take care mm -hmm. those type of things. And then you have ones where they are family, you know, but you know, you can't trust them with anything, but those are the ones you'd be like, well, we having the kid, uh, the kid's fifth birthday party. You want to come? Okay. Yeah. But you don't need to know none of the details of the party. <laughs> you don't need to know any of those things. You just show up. So, you know, I, it, it's kind of like how you were friends. You have your best friends and you have associates. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Same thing when it comes to creating that village. And I think it also goes to the opposite, right? So sometimes we don't put people in our village because we are either defining by role or we assume they don't want to be bothered or whatever. And we'll make those assumptions. And there are people who are willing to help out. They're like, but yeah. you never ask. Yeah. Yeah. That, my mom told me that today. Yeah. Uh, you got told twice. Yes. <laughs> That's a recurring message. So I have, so this is going to be different. I have some words and I want you to respond like with your thoughts from your position, from your life, what comes to you when you hear these words? Okay. And so I have four of them. The first one is strength. What does that mean to you? I like to tell people that when you come across somebody and you say, oh, they're so strong. They, they, they're dealing with a lot. They're so... I always say they're strong because they have to be, mm -hmm. not because they want to be. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to be considered a strong person or say, oh, you got so much strength and you, you just deal with a lot. So with such grace, because you in deep down, you're probably saying I need help, help yeah. <laughs> or I need a therapist. But when I hear the word strength, that's the first thing I think of. I'm not strong because people always refer to me as being a strong person. And I always think to myself when they say it, this is stuff that I have to do. That's why, because yeah. that's when we label people strong, right? We don't label people strong in like their good moments. Yeah, it's always you got you're dealing with something difficult. You got a lot on your plate, or you know, like up like the topic. You got a special needs kid. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're so strong because I could. I don't know if I could do that, or you know, you got a lot going on with them. Mm -hmm. You're just handling like with such ease, and it's like I ain't got no choice. This is my child. Yeah. All right. The next word: resilience. Uh, when I hear the word resilience, I automatically think of children. I don't know why, but I automatically think of children. Yes, because I feel like, I guess with, and, and more so now because I do have a child with a lot of medical needs, she has, when I say been through so much, and it just seems like, you know, with kids, they can go through all kinds of things 
medical, uh, getting sick, and it's like they just still carry a smile. They still want to play. Um, and so when I hear resilience, I automatically think of children. That makes a lot of sense. I never thought about it that way, but you're right. Kids can go through stuff and they, oh my gosh. Like you don't phase them. Yeah, they get sick and then they bouncing around the wall. Like my daughter now, you hear in the background, but she got a cold this morning. She was refusing all the things because she couldn't breathe. Her nose was stopped up. So. But you wouldn't know because once she wakes up, it's kind of, okay, I'm playing my toys. I'm bouncing around, you know. Yeah. So that's just, it's almost like we need to be a little bit more childlike. Yes. Community. Community, I think of the people who I feel like I can, they're one call away. Mm. And I know a lot of people, when they think community, think of like neighborhood-wide communities, and they think of communities as far as, you know, your culture and tradition uh, of that community that you may live in. But for me, it's always, I don't care what your religion are, or what your, what your religion, your race, your ethnicity, or any of those things are, those are the people I can rely on, I can call them. That village. Yeah. And then what about rest? I wish I had it. <laughs> I wish I had it. Rest. I don't know what that is anymore. Uh, a couple weeks ago, man, my husband was on the way to the hospital to see our daughter, and he was just like, we was at a red light. He said, you remember we used to take so many naps? <laughs> we just both started laughing because before we had children, we were just like, I want to take a nap. Any time of the day, it don't matter to do nap today, it didn't matter. And But now it's kind of, you're constantly on go. You always question, are you getting enough rest? Um, to the point where it's not affecting your mood with your spouse or your mood towards your other children when they um, doing things that may not be something that you like for them to do. Make sure you're not addressing them in the wrong manner or you're not too mean or those type of things. And I think rest is, I need more of it. But also, you, when you're dealing with special needs kids who have a lot of special needs, and with my baby, like I said, medical needs, you need to make sure you're getting rest so that you can function and be there for the other people that are also relying on you, not just that child. Awesome. So if you were to give the community at large advice on how to show up for parents, so not necessarily kids, because we know we can come help the kids, we be nice to the kids, we do all the stuff for the kids, but how to show up for parents of children with special needs what would you say first thing i would say is listen with an open mind a lot of times when parents who kids have special needs or medical needs and they're explaining or they're talking whoever they're talking to what i found even with myself and my own health issues what i found is that, I, that person is quick to give a response well, why can't they try this or why can't they do this or have you tried this and have you tried that or well, i read or i seen an article about a b and c instead of just listening because i guarantee you if a child has okay i guarantee you if a child has a special need or a medical need that parent has already looked it up. They probably have already read that article. They've already looked at what could, can, and cannot work. They probably tried all types of diets and CBD oils and chiropractors, whatever you can think of. I guarantee that parent has already thought about it. And for a person to just quickly respond and say, well, I heard so-and-so child got A, B, and C going on and they tried this. They probably have to. 
you know, um, that would be the first thing is to just listen with an open heart because when if you if you run across a parent with a child that has special needs and medical needs and they're actually talking to you about their child, they just want to get it off their chest. They've been holding it in for so long because nobody really understands. And they're just, at that moment, you asked at the right time and the right moment, and they just want to get it off their chest. They're not looking for answers. They're not looking for your suggestions or your advice. They're just saying, this is what my baby is dealing with. This is how hard it has been. That's it. The next thing I would say um, when you're trying to show up for, the, for your friends or those parents who kids have special needs, I would say um, give them grace. And I say that because a lot of times in those situations, the parent only shares like on their social media sites what they want to share. Yeah. So you don't you don't get to see them sitting up all night with a child who like when we talk about um, kids on the spectrum, um, you don't see them sitting up all night with a kid because he can't sleep and he's restless and you just sitting up making sure he don't harm himself. Mm-hmm. Or in my case, my daughter now with her Hirschsprung, she has a lot of gas and it's very painful for her to pass gas. So when she's up two o'clock in the morning and she's wiggling around and I'm sitting here looking at her and I'm trying to figure out the best way to comfort her and I can't and you don't hear those, you know, you don't, you don't, parents not going to post those type of moments yes. if they don't want to. And so when I say give them grace, when they're, when they do share something with you, don't beat them up about it and say, you know, well, you ought to, what I hear a lot is you got to take time for you. You're not going to be able to take care of your kid if you don't take time for you. I guarantee you they're trying. They're yeah. trying to take time for themselves. They're trying to do for themselves. Um, but when you have a kid with so much going on, it's hard to just say, I'm going to leave and do for me. Because mm-hmm. you want to make sure you're always there for the, for your kid. You want to make sure you don't miss anything. You want to make sure that you're being attentive and you're advocating for them. So give them grace if, you, if, you, if, they, if they come across and say, oh, I'm tired or I'm exhausted. It's a lot. Yeah, I like that because it also goes the other way, right? So give them grace when they're talking, but also when they need space. <laughs> right. That's just, and that's what I was going to say to you is that the, the third thing I would say is allow that parent to invite you in. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when your friends and your family find out your child has a lot going on medically or mental health issues, um, you're coming from a place of love. So you're trying to help as much as possible. You're checking in and calling all the time or texting and, you know, and sometimes that parent just want a breather. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they appreciate you. They're glad that you're there. You know, they're, they're glad that you are trying to encourage them. But sometimes they just, you know, they need time for themselves. They just want to breathe it. And like how we talked before, they still have to process that whole thought of my child is not going to be or do the things that I wanted them to do. So, you know, the last thing they want to talk about all day long is that, that idea of it's going to be okay or, you know, I have a best friend. Oh, we can't hear you. Okay. That's the tambourine girl. I have a best friend who is uh, one of the most positive people I know in the world. Mm-hmm. She will give you the shirt off her back. If you are down, she will bring you up. However, the flip side of that is a lot of times when you're dealing with 
especially these kids, kids a lot of medical issues. You don't want to always be positive. You want to be yeah. you want to be angry because your first question when you find out something's wrong with your child is why my child? Yes. And so that's why I say give them give that parent time to invite you in because when you bum rush them with positivity or you're bum rushing them with support it's coming from a good place but for that parent in that moment they don't want to hear it mm. they they and, and, I, and i know that sounds crazy because i'm still trying to explain it to my best friend it's it's not that i don't have hope my baby's gonna do all these amazing things because i know she will it's not that i know it's not that i don't believe she's still a special kid and she's still amazing and all these great things it's just that in this moment right now this is not the life i envision for my child and i'm mad about it so allow that parent to, to go through those stages. Like I said, it's like a grieving moment. You have to wait for them to invite you in with that positivity. You have to wait because they're not ready for it. And, yeah. and not only that, it's still new to them. Mm-hmm. So they, they don't they can't see where their child be five years down the road, 10 years down the road. All they see is right now with all the doctor visits, the appointments, the things that are uh, not happening the way they expected to with their child. That's all they see in that moment. Yeah. So you got to give them time to say, you know, okay, I'm ready for a little positivity. I'm ready for some kind words. Um, and th- a lot of times that comes with after they've seen visually, they've seen other kids with the same diagnosis flourishing and doing great things and, and meeting milestones. That's when that comes into play. That's when that parent is ready to open up to the support, to the, to the positivity. Yeah. And, I think the last thing I would say when it comes to showing up, when you find out your when you find out your family member or your friend's child has special needs, do your own research. Mm. I don't know how many times where I hear people say, you know, oh, you know, um, I hate what she's going through, and go ask about her diagnosis, you know, and I can explain it, but. There's nothing like doing your own research and trying to find out for yourself so you can better understand your friend or your family when they're explaining things to you. And then also, so when you do come at them with those questions of, well, have you heard about this? And have you heard about this new thing? You already know whether or not that is something that's going to work or not going to work, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So do, yeah. don't be afraid to do your own research when it comes to that. If, if, you, if your friend says, oh, my child was diagnosed with autism, look it up. Mm-hmm. Look up autism. Look at look at the different types of characteristics on the spectrum. Look at some of the things that works for certain parents. So when you are suggesting things, it's logical things, not just something you saw in a random article or on a TikTok video or somebody that you know you heard about doing a commercial. Actually, look it up. So when you start asking those questions of, okay, what are they on the spectrum? Are they verbal? Are they nonverbal? Are they walking? Are they one of those kids who um, really, really smart but don't talk? Um, for my baby, um, what I hear a lot is she's so small. She's one, and she looks like she's about three months old. And oh, wow. she's so small, and in my mind, I'm thinking that's typical of a kid with CG. But if you don't look into it, you will never know that. Yeah. Or they'll say, um, is she is she is she walking yet? And I'm like, no. Do you know anything about <laughs> no, she's not and see and with Avery, she's right now she's nonverbal. She's not walking, she's not crawling, she's not sitting up on sitting up on her own. Um, but with her specific 
genetic disorder that comes later. Okay. That's one of, the main, one of the main characteristics: delayed development. And when I say delayed, I'm not talking where she is a year old and um, she's behaving like a ten month old. I'm talking she's a year old and she's behaving like a newborn. Okay. As she gets older, she'll probably be 16, acting like a five-year-old. So it's very slow development. It's very slow process. Um, but, yeah, that would be my last thing. If you want to show up, research whatever your friend child has going on. Look into it so you actually look like you care. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm reading an article about CDG. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a doctor in such and such place. Have you heard of them? They have a lot of research about A, B, and C. Instead of just coming to them saying, well, so-and-so's uh, baby is small and they tried this. And I'm like, well, so-and-so baby don't have her genetic disorder. So yeah. what work for them may not work for Avery. Yeah, I think it's interesting how society has shifted into everyone's an expert. And I'm like... Yes. I don't, I, I think you can do research online, right? Like I think everyone can do research online, but sometimes people minimize research to TikTok. But you need to really remember how to look at sources and like everybody's not an expert it's, and it's okay. People are experts at different things. You don't have to try to be an expert at everything. Right. And the biggest thing when it comes to that with, is just, <laughs> For me, what irritates me is that when people, when I've explained to you what her diagnosis is, because you're you're behaving as if you're so interested, and I tell you what her diagnosis is, I tell you what she was dealing with, and a week later, I'm, I have to explain it again. Oh, it's kind of like, are you really interested, or are you just saying this because you want to make me feel better, make me feel like you care, mm -hmm. you know, those type of things, yeah, so... That last part is really big for me. It is is that if you if your friend or your family member says, you know, I had a baby or I had a kid, we just found out our kid has this going on or that going on. My baby got diagnosed with Down syndrome or my child has um, Asperger's, which a lot of people don't even realize is a mental disorder. But whatever it may be, I'm just calling random things out. But try to go and research it yourself and actually do a legitimate, like you said, a legitimate search um, to see what it's all about, what it entails. And then when you do come to your friend or your family member about that, like I said before, give them time to invite you in. Because when Avery was first born, I was telling people about it. I had a cousin say, oh, those kids die. They don't live long. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> Trust me, I know, and that's why I say allow people to invite you in because sometimes people can do their research and they just bombard you with what they've learned, and it's kind of like, I know this is my child. When you think I would research it too, <laughs> you know, and it can sometimes it can come off as rude or it can come off as um, insensitive. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Obnoxious. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to cousin. Yeah, that's that's it. You're you're saying it. Wow. That's a lot. And so you didn't cuss? <laughs> you didn't cuss when that happened? 
uh over time you learn how to just ignore it but when it yeah. first happens and she was real young i had very little patience for um ignorance mm -hmm. um but I'm glad this is a topic that you decided to discuss because a lot of times when you do see podcasts or you see conversations and panels about parents with child, children with special needs, the conversation always revolve around the child. Mm -hmm. what, research, what research is out there, what test studies are being done, what resources are available, what programs are in place to help the child and assist the child. And very rarely do you see it on the opposite end of what their parent is dealing with, what their parent is going through, what their parent is having to face. And also, it's a lot for the kid, but it's also a lot for the parent because it's a huge adjustment. It's a huge adjustment. It is a, it is a, um, a huge thing to get accustomed to when... Avery was about to be discharged. We had to do an educational training with a nurse that teaches about diabetes and glucose. We had to do an educational training with a nurse that teaches how to use the oxygen tanks. We had to do one as far as uh, meet with two nurses on three different occasions on how to change out her TPN fluids. So it was a lot of training. And what I remember from all that is everybody kept asking me and my husband, do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel overwhelmed? And... I would say for the average person, yes, it is a lot. You can be overwhelmed. It can make you shut down. It can make you look at your child and just cry because you're like, if, if you would have came to my house last night, you'd have been like, what is going on? There's oxygen tanks on the chairs, on the sofa. There's tubes and stuff on my coffee table. There's things everywhere. And to come home to that or to deal with that as a parent who you're not used to that, especially having another kid who just runs around and they don't have a care in the world. It's an adjustment and you don't see a lot of conversations about how parents are dealing, how parents are, are processing and how they're getting through the same exact thing like the child. So I, uh -huh. go ahead. I have a, it's a bit of a uncomfortable question to ask. <laughs> I like your face. You like, <laughs> but it is it's a bit of an uncomfortable question to ask but i always talk about my son is going to be 16 right so i'm always like hey, i got two years two and a half years and he out like you gotta go but for depending on your child's special needs right depending on what they have going on that also impacts the way you look at not just the rest of their life, but the rest of your life. life. An 18-year cutoff. So is because when you were talking about her develop delayed development, what does that look like for you? Is that now a lifetime commitment? Because we know we all have lifetime commitments to our kid, but it's a whole different level. Yes, and that goes back to what I said earlier when the parent really has to process. The child will never live the life you envision for them. So for Avery, she will always be home. She will always live at home. She will always need some type of assistance um, and um, supervision. There are kids who have CDG who are trying to branch out on their own. And um, there's one girl, she just finished college. Um, yes, yeah, so she right now, she's trying, she's going through the process of trying to get her own place, which is great. Um, but for the majority of kids who have CDG, even into adulthood, you're still at home. So that's 
I don't know how. For me, it's not an issue because you know my brother Blake, he lives with me. So I've already processed that whole mindset of this is my life. I'm always have somebody at home that I got to care for. With Avery, that was something that went along with the whole grieving process of she's not going to grow up like my other daughter, Alyssa, and be off getting married, going to dances. And all. not saying she can't do those things, but it'll never be in the in the realm of how I thought it would be. Yeah. So she'll always need assistance. She'll always be home. Um, we had to process that. That For me, that part wasn't a huge issue. Because the moment I, when they told me her diagnosis and I researched it for myself, I automatically knew, okay, she's going to be home. Okay. And so that wasn't, that wasn't a huge issue for me, but I know for a lot of people, it can be, it, yeah. it really well can be. Um, my OBGYN told me that um, when she was younger, she had two kids and her sister-in-law had a child who had some complications um, during pregnancy, during delivery, and came out with, uh, was born with special needs. I won't say came out, was born with special needs. And when she noticed how much her sister-in-law had to do for that child, she realized that she could never do that. Mm. And so she ended up having her, her tubes tied. Mm. Because she didn't want to run the risk of having a child that would have special wow. needs or uh, any type of mental health needs. For a lot of people, that is a realization. Yeah. If me and my husband ever have the 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 disorder that Avery has is a genetic disorder. It's a gene that me and my husband both carry. Mm. So if we ever have children, we have a fifty percent chance of um, that child not having not uh, not having the disorder. We have a twenty five percent chance of the child being a carrier and a twenty five percent chance of the child actually having the disorder. Okay. So, uh, if we were to get pregnant again, it's a chance they could also have the same diagnosis as Avery, but they would have it and may have a completely different uh, characteristics than Avery. For a lot of parents, that's a huge concern of cannot take care of another child with CG. Or if that's your first child and you find out they have Down syndrome or they have something while they're still pregnant with them, um, you know, I don't know. If, this is something that a lot of people talk about, but you know, there is that option of you can terminate the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And that is real for a lot of people because you have to think, can you mentally do it? Can you physically do it? Can you emotionally do that? And in your mind, you may think, yes, it's my child, I'm gonna do whatever. But then when the realization sit in, and like I say, you are looking at your child and you're sitting in doctor's office or you're sitting in the hospital and then you realize this is tough. Yeah. This is a lot. Do I really want to run the risk of having another child with this disability? Can I do it? And there's a lot of parents who, who do. There's a lot of parents who have multiple children with CDG um, and they're rocking and rolling. But you'll never know until it happens to you. Mm -hmm. You'll never know what you can and can't deal with until it happens. Yeah. When you're pregnant, nobody thinks, you don't think, let me go get a genetic test done. No. You don't think something's going to be wrong with your child. You just, you just, you're pregnant, you're happy, and you're hoping for a healthy baby. Mm -hmm. When that baby comes and you realize, okay, things are not going to be what I expected them to be, you have to process that. You have to really process that. A lot of times you do see parents getting into therapy 
um, support groups, um, becoming closer as far as religion goes, um, because it's a lot to process. For me, like I said, I automatically knew she was going to be home, and I'm okay with that. But I also know, too, that I wouldn't be able to um, do something that my husband still go back and forth with. I don't think mentally I can have another baby with CDG, knowing what I know. Because if I had a second child, in my mind, I'm thinking, I gave, I did this to them because I knew mm-hmm. the possibility that this could happen. And so look at my child and be struggling or can't do things. In my mind, I'm thinking, mommy did this. I knew better. And there are methods you can go through and you can take to where you can uh, ensure your child doesn't have CDG. It's, it's similar to the IVF process. Okay. Or you can do all that. But that goes back to what you said. Financially, can you afford That's that? money. Yeah. And, yeah. Is that something you want to want to do just to have another child? Mm-hmm. My husband wants a boy. I'm perfectly fine with my two girls. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. Do you want more kids? It would be nice to have more kids and to have a boy. But like I said, mentally, I don't think that, yes, you can have, I see that somebody has a question. So is it is this not on the list of genetic testing when we're testing? Most times, and I'm, I'm going to answer a question. Most okay. times when you're pregnant, um, genetic testing isn't really a conversation unless there's something that is uh, genetic or hereditary in your family. Mm. So something, if, if you know mental health runs in your family, you might get a uh, genetic test done when you're pregnant or prior to to see what what you could and could not uh, pass along to your child. Um, with CDG, you can have a test called an uh, am- amniotic test where they stick a needle in your stomach or they can do a vaginal. But you can only do that at 11 weeks. And now with abortion laws and all these different things, there's a lot to think about um, because at, some, at that point you're getting into the, the realm of it being too risky to have an abortion or you won't do it anymore at certain uh, at a certain week. Um, in order to do that specific um in order to do that specific genetic test my husband just came home sorry but um it is not the average genetic test it's more in depth it's a more in depth genetic test it's not something that they do like how they test how they test for um down syndrome or yeah. things of that nature it's it's a it's a more um because that's what they did initially when she was first born like i said she had a lot of um genetic abnormalities she got these pinholes in her ears she has short pinkies where if you look at her pinky finger yes ma'am if you look at her pinky finger she doesn't have this part that has the nail on it oh wow her toenails and her fingernails uh, don't all grow in oh. um so and she has like these nodules uh right here on her chest also that are very mobile and when they did the first genetic test it was just a basic genetic test and it didn't show anything was wrong with her mm-hmm. so they had when we um went to a different hospital they did a more in-depth one and that's how we found out she had the uh, cdg gotcha. yeah so jerry in all of this process what have you learned about yourself I have learned that I am capable of doing way more than I ever thought I could. 
I would have never imagined my life being how it is. Never. Um, I tell people all the time, me and my husband tried for almost six years to have a baby. Oh, wow. And when we found out we were pregnant with our first daughter, we had actually, I would say maybe two weeks before finding out, two or three weeks before finding out, we had a serious heart-to-heart where it was, we talked about adoption. Mm. We talked about fostering. And my husband's younger than me, and, and I even talked with him about um, the possibility of me never being able to have kids. Mm. Because we had tried everything. Um, everything outside of like IVF and things in, in, in vitro and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we had a, had Alyssa, and even when she was born, she had to go to Nikki, and there was a scare there, but she had no issues with developing. Um, and so when we thought about having another child, it was kind of the whole, okay, good. Okay, we have to have another one. We got pregnant so quickly. They are actually 13 months apart. They're Irish twins. And so it was like, yay, you know, okay, it's going to be wild, but okay. So to us, it was a blessing because we had tried so long. And then to find out every has so many uh, medical um disorders and complications it, it was a it was a lot to deal with but what i learned is that i can do it mm-hmm. i'm capable of doing all these things and i learned i i learned that about myself more and more every time something new comes up like i said earlier every time she's in the hospital goes to the hospital it's a new adjustment because something has changed and to be able to just keep moving, keep rocking with it, and to easily adjust to it. Never thought I would be doing this. Never thought I'd be yeah. hooking up uh, oxygen tanks and I, I things know. of that nature. Never thought that would be something I would be doing with my children. So that's the one thing I think I, I, I can say I've learned. And I'm actually proud that I know that about myself because mm-hmm. now with my own health and things that I deal with, I feel like there's nothing that a doctor can tell me that I'm not going to be ready for. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. So I have kept you past the time. Oh, it's okay. (laughs) I have kept you. But this was like so insightful. And I am so thankful that you came on because I just feel like a wealth of knowledge right now. And I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe we should go look up what's going on because we don't do that. And then the parents start explaining to us the same thing over and over. Oh, you're right. I was so it brought out some self-awarenesses for myself. So as we close, do you have any final words? Um, thank you for having me and having this discussion. I do think that this is something that needs to be discussed even more. Um, as far as you know, the parent side of what they deal with. Because there's so much that we didn't discuss. Um, but I'm just glad you was able to bring a voice to it. Yeah, and then come back and we can discuss the other stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can come back and discuss everything else. All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in. Um, remember, like, share, and subscribe. And thank you so much, Jerry. I really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, everyone. Have an amazing day. Bye.